Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I'm John Pollock, and I'm with Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. What's up? Uh, not, not too much. How was All your right. day? That was fine. Spoke to uh, Andrew Thompson for today's update, so that's always a pleasant thing. We went long. We went double the size. Double size with double underscore. A whole hour with Andrew Thompson for today's uh, daily news update. So you can get that in the uh, cafe or at Post Wrestling YouTube. YouTube.com slash Post Wrestling. What did you discuss? Uh, just a little bit about Raw, a little bit about uh, NXT 2.0, uh, Cody Rhodes leaving Twitter, and uh, yeah, what else? Yeah, but, uh, you know, a bit about Kenny Omega. Somehow we just, you know, filled a lot of time. So it's always interesting and fun to talk to that man. Well, we have uh, Dynamite to talk about, the post-pay-per-view edition of the show. Uh, we also uh, released our 99th edition of Rewind Away on Tuesday night, one that we have gotten quite a bit of feedback for. That is the UWF Blackjack Brawl from 1994, the final chapter in the uh, promotional career of Herb Abrams and the end of the UWF. Uh, Blackjack Brawl 2 and 3 would never come to fruition, but we do have Blackjack Brawl 1 and only. Yeah, it was a terrible show. Um, One of the worst shows we've had to ever watch and um, you can listen to our reactions and thoughts, and you can listen to Bruce Lord's reactions and thoughts to it as well. Uh, so, yeah, that's also on this week's Rewind Away. What a yes. way to get to 99. Crank up some Weird Al and, and, and listen to, to our review of Blackjack Brawl. Because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Blackjack not exactly the uh, doesn't always go really well with pro wrestling, and neither did poker on Tuesday night. And uh, we will be discussing... The news further on Thursday during our daily news update, but uh, just in a nutshell way, the lowest 18 to 49 number in the history of NXT on the USA Network going back to September of 2019. There was even a tape show on, they did the two tape shows on sci-fi back in the summer when the Olympics were going on. There was even one of those episodes on sci-fi that beat this week's number. Wow. That's, that's terrible. Like there was, there was like cable news coverage that was that was up on on Tuesday night, and they were going against the NBA. But like this is their lowest. This is compared to numbers when they were going head to head with AEW. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, what does that tell you about the experiment? I think that it's a it's a show that is. Um, I think it's the concept. I think it's everything. I don't look at this as just some one-off number. This is, uh, if you've been focused on their numbers and where they've been trending, it has been towards this. And it's just a question of what is the diehard audience that this show will whittle itself down to. And I was very curious about this poker segment because it, it honestly, it was probably like the most pushed thing. They did announce Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai uh, later in the week, uh, which was the main event. But when that poker segment started, and they had the graphic come up with the explanation of how Texas Hold'em works. I just instantly thought to myself, this is going to bomb. There is no one that is sitting down to watch 
And I thought the two performers were actually very good in the segment. I thought the personalities uh, did actually enhance the segment once it got going. But just the concept of it and that beginning when uh, we got the the rules up on the screen, I'm just thinking, is anybody intrigued by an actual game of Texas Hold'em on their pro wrestling show? I enjoy the segment. Like I, I, but I'm a fan of poker TV and I'm a fan of like pretty ridiculous shit whenever they try it. Um, it's an, a ridiculous idea to put into a wrestling segment to get to a match. But uh, considering I, I thought the two did a pretty good job of it. I can promise you that had they done something where there was a stipulation attached to uh, cutting the man's hair, I bet you that would have been more intriguing. I mean, that seems to be what they're building up to. Didn't they kind of deliver it? I mean, me cut like a good portion of his hair already. Uh, not enough to to be a full cut, I suppose. Right? He just I mean, he's not bald. Kind of cut the tip off. Yeah. So I guess they they tease you, and then he'll come back for the match. Well, yeah. I don't I I don't know what to say. I don't I don't see NXT. Um, like I think this is going to be maybe this is a uh the, the low point. Maybe they're they're gonna have some uh a little bit of a bounce back. Uh, we we will see. But I think this is largely the um, the the area that NXT is going to be in. I don't know who the audience is for NXT that they are after because I think that audience that previously followed this show, I think they find their their great wrestling elsewhere, and it is your your main WWE audience. Um, they have they have more than enough from Raw and SmackDown, and I, I don't know if NXT is necessarily going to be their program of choice either. Yeah, I mean. You know, some, sometimes I wonder how much they even care about these ratings. I mean, they are really just treating the show as developmental at the moment. And is that enough for them to consider this to be a success? You know, the fact that they're giving reps to a very inexperienced roster? Or do they actually want the show to perform as well as possible? I mean, I, I, this it's not a concept that you, you would think would lend itself to high ratings. No, but that kind of strategy certainly is fine if you're talking about a property on the WWE Network where it's strictly develop, developmental and it's it's a loss leader for us to create new acts, new stars. It's another when you are on national television, have a television partner, and it's airing in prime time. So, I mean, there is going to be that pressure if numbers hit a certain point that they are going to feel that that need. That was the whole point of revamping NXT was the idea of you know, getting younger and trying to change this show around because the old format they they gave up on. Right. Well, we'll talk about this more on uh, Thursday's uh, daily news update and uh, whatever else is going on in the news. But tonight's episode took place from the Chartway Arena in Norfolk, Virginia, with a big recap of the pay-per-view off the top and Dark Order inside the ring. Uh, but before we got to the opening segment with uh, Hangman Page and his big celebration, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Adam Cole are on camera. Brandon Cutler is rolling, and Kenny Omega has not gone back and watched the match yet. Maybe maybe he uh, ordered on Bleacher Report, hasn't been able to watch the replay yet. <laughs> he asked. He has been asked when the rematch is, and Kenny is disgusted, but he congratulates Hangman Page. He is not going to be a sore loser here. He says, there are things I need to fix that I cannot do here. So he looks over to the side and asks and asks someone to hold down the fort. And Adam Cole assumes it's me and responds, don't worry, cleaner. I've got this. 
reviving. This was a deep cut. This was a meme from like a year ago on Twitter of a Kenny Omega defender uh, coming coming to his defense in some uh, some Twitter battle um, that amazingly uh, made its way here as a as a deep cut here in this promo. What do you mean? The line it's I cannot fully uh, break this down, but essentially it was uh, some crazy AEW WWE argument that was going on. And some fan interjected on behalf of Kenny with the words, don't worry, cleaner. I've got this. And oh, this wow. just it was just a line that just spread and just became hmm. its own little thing. And that was the little nod here from Adam Cole. Uh, but Kenny cuts off Adam Cole, says, I wasn't referring to you. I meant the young bucks. So uh, continuing the 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 underlying uh, issue here between Kenny Omega and Adam Cole and kind of taking this as a bit of a temporary write off for Kenny Omega, at least on AEW programming. Yeah, I thought this was great. You know, anytime I mean, going back to the Bullet Club days, anytime a major champion loses a big match. Uh, you, these these seeds of dissent are always there. You know, the Bull Club always have has somebody kind of waiting beneath the wings to take over for the leader whenever the leader fails. And Adam Cole in this position happens to fill that role absolutely perfectly. You know, we all know his status as the leader of a previous faction, and we all know that he probably wouldn't play second fiddle for too long. And you know, being able to tell sort of this you know a bit of dissent it, it's a perfect character for adam cole and i can't wait to see you know this continue to build this was a great way of temporarily suspending it for kenny omega to get checked out whatever he needs to do before coming back and telling this full story mm-hmm. yeah and we will we will see what the uh what the timeline is for kenny omega i would say regardless like you have all of these injuries that have been documented, I think it's for his best that he does take some time off. But I would say even like from a creative storyline standpoint that it would it would make sense to kind of tell the story and have Kenny go away for a while and and then return. I think there's a lot of value in that regardless. Um, and the fact that, you know, he has all of these all of these ailments, uh, probably many of which he is probably just kept quiet. Um, I, I think it would do him just a lot of good. You think he does the triple A match? He's advertised for it, so I would lean towards yes. Mm, interesting. You you don't think so? I don't know. I guess it depends on how well his uh, checkup went today. You're right. I mean, if they if they find just a a litany once they uh, lift the rock and look what's what's underneath, um, yeah, they, I guess it could it could always put that into doubt. I guess it just looks like the fact that he has been advertised for this. I would think he would be adamant about doing the match, but we'll see. I mean, you you don't know what will be uh, discovered. So John Silver introduces Hangman Page. He comes out. There's all these signs. The crowd is chanting, you deserve it. And he says, I didn't deserve it. I earned it. Leading to a you earned it chant from this crowd in Virginia. It was beautiful to see. Absolutely beautiful to see. And I don't think they could have picked a better destination for something like this to occur. I I think, you know, under different leadership, I imagine there might have been at least a little bit of temptation to have Adam Page win that championship after that first title challenge two years ago. Um, And at that point, the crowd was not as into him near the a tenth of what they are today. Uh, Certainly a reaction like this would not have occurred, but this felt just totally um, so good. You know, the man just doesn't really feel like 
he's the champion of a promotion. He feels like he's a representative of every single person who's been watching AEW since the beginning. This really is like their first full story from beginning to end, starting from that first press conference when he stated his desire to win the championship. And here it is, the the culmination of it all. He says, you are my boss and he wants to celebrate National Cowboy Shit Day before turning his attention to Brian Danielson. And out comes Danielson to congratulate Hangman Page. He is super excited for the match, but also surprised and disappointed that it's not Kenny Omega. And Page says, yeah, well, I beat his ass and I did it in less than 30 minutes. The crowd is all chanting cowboy shit and Danielson gets booed when he says, I don't want to start a beef, but you aren't facing someone that's going to dress up like a Ghostbuster on Halloween. I'm coming to kick some ass. I've been out wrestling weekly. You just flap your gums. And you, you dark order rejects with your vlogs. Where have vlogs got in our society? That part he did not add. But he says he has wrestled. He wrestled the very next day after winning the championship at WrestleMania. The crowd boos. He goes, of course, Virginia boos hard work. And Paige suggests that they wrestle tonight. The whole place is chanting yes. And Daniel says, normally I'd be up for it. I'm ready to wrestle, but you are not, as he goes over his attire. And I've heard your long list of excuses for failing, and I don't want to beat you and hand you a ready-made excuse by not being ready. Paige says, Virginia is for lovers, but I will still fight. And they go head-to-head. There's a pull-apart, and Danielson yells, Have your little friends stop us. You don't want to fight. I knew that I'd kick your ass and Paige gets free and goes after him and ends the segment with uh, the pull apart between them. I thought Brian Danielson was phenomenal on this show. I thought the segment was awesome. And Brian was just absolutely brilliant. He was able to turn himself from one of the company's biggest baby faces at the start of the show into one of its biggest heels of the evening, you know? And I think he was able to do it while, maintaining the integrity of his character way he didn't adjust anything he's the guy that from the very first night in said i'm here to test all these guys because i think i'm the best in the world and that's been his thing every week beating these guys he didn't deviate from any of this it was just that this is an audience that doesn't want to hear it when his target is hangman page like they did not go out of their way to try and make him a heel it was just it was just a natural extension of the Danielson you've had of the past two months. Yeah. They gave him some really excellent, super simple material to go for him to go after page. Like, uh, you know, he simply saying, I preferred to face Kenny. I thought was excellent, you know, because I mean, the subtext is that he thinks Kenny is still better than hangman page. Um, you know, having page dig back at him for not being able to beat Kenny in 30 minutes. And then Brian teasing him about, you know, defending the belt after he won the championship and bringing up WrestleMania. That was the biggest heat getting line. It was his mention of WrestleMania and any of his WWE accomplishments, which which this crowd absolutely hated. Um, and then Brian, you know, kind of cherry on top saying that he would fight him tonight, but he doesn't want Paige to have an excuse. It was, I think, really smart and just the right amount of 
tension building between the two without having Brian go full-blown heel. Yeah, Danielson, all he needed to add to this was the fact that here we are in your hometown and you're staring at a guy who is on WWE Creative. Yes, absolutely. There you go. It was just a a brilliant exercise in in crowd psychology, I thought. Really great segment. It was was terrific. And they go into Danielson and Evil Uno, which was the advertised match, and the crowd just hates Danielson. He holds on to the half crab as Aubrey is counting to five. This was like right out of Danielson's like heel playbook in like 2006 as Ring of Honor champion. He was just in his element here. He really is a fantastic heel by just making slight adjustments to his, his character that just they they just blended so naturally into this this transition. But it feels a lot better now that he's an actual heel in this town. You know, like he was doing a lot of this stuff as a full-blown babyface while he entered the company. And at, at at some moments, it just kind of felt more shticky, like like he was trying to, you know, recapture a, an, an ROH persona. But doing it as a heel, I think it fits his current in-ring style so much more, where it makes his offense look even more devastating because you actually start to think he actually wants to hurt his opponent. Uh, there were a lot of signs in this crowd, one of which here was book more than one women's wrestling match that was facing the hard camera. Then another one later in the night was uh, this is awesome sucks. Right. OK, well, very, uh, yeah, very some popular opinions that, that have been um, shared online. Danielson is like pie facing Uno, who then fires up with chops and punches in the corner. Danielson's chest is all red. And then he slaps Uno while yelling about disrespecting him. Hits a pair of running drop kicks, but the third runs into a boot. Evil Uno goes for the swanton, landing on the knees of Danielson. Busaiku knee, but then takes the wrists and stomps him in the head repeatedly before applying the triangle and doing the Nate Diaz flex as he applies the triangle. And Uno is out immediately at 623. Danielson gets the win. (laughs) This is great. I really enjoyed all of Danielson's stuff on the show. Me too. Absolutely. You know, the moment that he was able to just, he knew he had the crowd hating him. I, again, he, I think he just played it so well into this match. And then this ongoing saga of, of Danielson targeting members of the dark order. I absolutely am looking forward to so much. And they've ensured that it will continue next week because Shivani interviewed him. He said he kicked Uno's head in because of the behavior of hangman page and I don't know when I'm going to fight Paige, but until then, I'm going to kick the heads in of all the members of the Dark Order. And next week, we happen to be in Chicago, and I want to face Colt Cabana if you have any nuts. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I'm excited for that match. You know, for Colt, it's probably his most high-profile match he's had in AEW thus far. Uh, in Chicago, no less. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm really happy that Colt's going to get that like big hometown match um i i I think you know we were wondering hey can they drag this thing out all the way till january for one of those big shows and if he's gonna like they're gonna drag it enough through all the members here yeah he's gonna go through every single member of the dark order then they definitely can and i'll be there for it because every single member of the dark order is gonna have a hell of a match with brian danielson and it's all going to be part of a larger story it would have been really impressive if Tony Khan had booked this long term and we're going to everyone's hometown over the next like six weeks. Yeah. What like are there some obscure towns for 
Well, I don't backwards. think they're going to Canada for uh, Stu Grayson, um, nor was uh, mm. Evil Uno here in his hometown. But nonetheless, right. um, yeah, so that's uh, that's the, the Wintrust Arena next week where they ran the Revolution pay-per-view last year in 2020. So a big building that they're running in their top market of Chicago. Mm-hmm. MJF, uh, there was a promo after his win on Saturday and said that he keeps hearing how great all these other wrestlers are listing off the people here in AEW. And I made everyone look like idiots. People think I can only talk. They don't know what's going He says, I don't know what's going on in my knee, but I don't care. And a lot of like the Piper mannerisms here when he was like at his like heel best and said, I got all of your cute Mark chants with my match and I won with a headlock takeover. And he makes reference to the championship uh, in terms of what's next and says that he is the man with the best right hand in the business. I love these like post-match promos that they shoot immediately after these big matches. You know, and this was like MGF all completely beat up here, but you can see the specialness of this segment because of the adrenaline pumping through this man's veins after having the performance of a lifetime in front of this crowd. You know, he was operating to me at full capacity here. You know, coming off of that match where he just looked incredible with Darby. But in this promo, I I thought this promo was as strong as the match. Where it was just like an incredible confidence and this incredible energy. Every word coming out of the, his mouth felt perfectly delivered. Uh, it was it was absolutely great. Gave me like, man, like, it, like it's, it's like a similar type of energy to what Flair had after the Rumble. You know? He was, he, this was a, a very strong promo and there will be more of MJF on this show. But um, yeah, I mean, he, it's, I really enjoyed this, this show in the sense that they, they're really making this four pillars concept more of a, of a focused thing in AEW. It's always kind of been this, this thing that exists, but now they're very much focusing on it. And this was a show where you really have like the, this, um, kind of identification of all of them. Like MJF is riding high of all of them. Jungle Boy is going through this transformation. Darby is at a low point. And then it's like Sammy Guevara has kind of been in the background and he got a big spotlight tonight as well. So you got like something for all of them and they're at very different points. And it's almost like this, this rat race of who's going to become the first champion of these four and MJF is kind of ahead of the field at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. They recap the Punk Kingston match, and Shivani is interviewing Eddie Kingston when he is interrupted by 2.0 and Daniel Garcia. And <laughs> they start uh, calling Kingston. Uh, he's, he, oh, are you doing another promo complaining like a little prick? And they note that Daniel Garcia lasted longer in the ring than Kingston did with CM Punk. There's no promotion that puts more weight behind match times than this company and how long I lasted with a guy versus you, which is smart to utilize. It gives you all these reasons for guys like, yeah, I lasted eight minutes. You lasted seven, you weak piece of garbage. And thus we have a conflict. Kingston tells Blockhead and his friend to shut up says he does not respect Daniel Garcia because he allows 2.0 to call him son. I know who you are. I know you're from Buffalo, and I want to fight you. And he begs for one promo where he doesn't get interrupted, and he's off to catering. This is a much more lighthearted Eddie Kingston than um, the previous uh, 
couple of promos that we have gotten from him. But uh, looks like Daniel Garcia and Eddie Kingston, uh, but no date announced for this match. Yep, very simple. Very simple build, and all we needed was a reason for Eddie Kingston to beat somebody's ass um, coming off of full gear. So this will maintain that momentum, and you know they, they have somebody very special in Eddie Kingston to promote as a major babyface. So I hope they continue that momentum. And maybe this happens in Chicago next week. Yeah, yeah, on maybe. one of the shows. The Butcher and the Blade are accompanied by the Hardy family office, and then Tomohiro Ishii walking out to the Pixies. With Rocky this, Romero and the best friends. Yeah, one of the oddest sights I'll say this year was seeing Ishii walk out to the Pixies. Did um, you walk did you watch this walk? This is a guy that was wearing every second of that G one as he walked out here. I, I just feel like this is how he always permanently walks. I mean, you know, when Kenny's getting checked out, I wonder if Ishii should walk into that trainer's room too. Just to I was gonna see. say, I, Ishii, I wanted to see my, my dream match was him with Doctor Bo Hightower. Could you imagine this oh, guy's goodness. getting adjusted? <laughs> yeah, um, like can you imagine an X-ray of that man? Like what that? I I don't that think that's a look. guy that really wants anyone looking under the hood uh, at, at what's going on, other than yeah. the cars running. So let's yeah. let's not press our luck. Might mm-hmm. might have to you know really get the uh, <laughs> might have to put the key in the ignition and really give it a, a jam every morning. But it get, it, it runs it and it gets to the destination. Yes, mm-hmm. and you can depend on it every summer. Uh, the blade is attacking with strikes that Ishii just absorbs and drops him with one. Uh, this crowd, this was a very vocal crowd, and my God, were they into Orange Cassidy here? I mean, they were into both of them, but this was a very like hot crowd for Orange Cassidy, just doing all of his trademark stuff, the limp kicks, the kip up with the hands in the pockets. Butcher just runs through Orange Cassidy. They go through picture in picture as Butcher is in control. And then right as the break ends is when Ishii is tagged in. The man is understanding U.S. television tag wrestling very well. Uh, They trade shots. Butcher is hitting him with chops. And then Ishii just suddenly has this look of bewilderment. Who is this guy chopping me? And he just stares him down and walks him down, hits a superplex. Uh, Cassidy is in, stun dog millionaire, swinging DDT on the blade, crowd's going nuts. Orange Punch gets stopped by Butcher. They hit their finisher. Ishii breaks it up. And then he drags Cassidy into the corner, tagging himself in, drops Butcher. Bunny gets onto the apron as it's a distraction as Blade gets the brass knucks. Rocky Romero pulls him out. Orange Cassidy with a high cross to the floor, and it ends with the Ishii Lariat Brainbuster onto the blade in 11 minutes and 18 seconds. Big pop for the finish, and Ishii is checking on Cassidy, who just looked uh, so happy to be here in this ring with the man. I thought this match was incredibly fun. You know, I know Okada is sort of like the big star at the end of this whole, whole thing, which, by the way, did, they did not really tease at all, other than Excalibur mentioning. They did know, make all- several mentions of him, and at the end saying, I'm sure Okada will be happy about this. So, I right. mean, mentioned, certainly. Mentioned. But, you know, to me, like, Ishii is is probably my favorite member of Chaos. And to me, he was the big attraction uh, personally, and I'm sure for a whole lot of p- other people as well. In ring, I think he's the more spectacular performer, and I'm incredibly glad that Virginia treated him like the major attraction that he that he is uh every time he tagged in he got a big reaction and you know the personalities between the two i think have this very odd unlikely you know duo chemistry between the two of them where one is incredibly silly and the other is incredibly overly serious so um 
it, it, it was a lot of fun to watch. And I thought Butcher and the Blade did a great job as their opponents, too. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like a real big um, kind of singles match for, for Ishii. Uh, it was more so it's he's available. We're going to put him in like a tag scenario where it's kind of just a showcase to put him on television in a fun way that the crowd got into. Um, and you want to give you want to give value to to the stars that are staying, not the guy who's only going to be here for two weeks. And if if that like I I don't even like nothing was announced for Rampage. There's no uh, there's no there's there's nothing else like Okada and Ishii are booked for. It's not like Suzuki where he had all these dates lined up while he was over here. So hmm. for all we know, however, neither are on the current tour. So in theory, they they could stick around if they had ideas for it. But nothing was teased coming out of this. This felt like one and done. Yeah, we'll see. Shivani's with Andrade and FTR. All of them are coming off losses at the pay-per-view. And Andrade says that he has beaten Cody and Pac in the past, and he's going to show his bad side. Wheeler says that they were robbed against the Lucha Bros, and they propose an eight-man tag, adding Malachi Black to their side. And then Tully warns Arn, I'm not Jose, and I've got one more in me. A frightening statement in 2021, but nonetheless, uh, Tully and Arn, maybe uh, crossing paths in Chicago, a city with lots of history for the two. Yeah, like in a one-on-one encounter? Well, something where they're both going to be in the corners next week. and Oh, in the corners, yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I don't imagine they will be wrestling next week. No, they're, I don't They're know certainly I... teasing this. Well, I, I was going to say, like, well, maybe they could have been inserted into this multi-person tag. But I, I mean, I think them simply being out in the corners is is enough. But uh, yeah, no, this this continues the whole program. Then there was a recap of Baker and Conti, and Ty Conti says she did not fail; she learned, and she is not starting from scratch because next time she gets a title shot, she will come out as champion. So yeah, not Ooh. her her spirits not deflated after this loss. No, you win or you learn. That's what they teach you in jujitsu, right? Yeah, I I always said when, when NXT did these episodes after a takeover, like I always liked uh, an episode where it's a constant reminder of the aftermath of a major show that if you missed, it feels like you missed something big and there's repercussions. It's not we're just moving on to the next big show and everything's forgotten. This whole build that we had, it's no, all of these wins, these losses, they matter. These characters are impacted either positively or negatively from the outcomes and I always like that on the post takeover shows. And I like how they treated this show as kind of this, uh, not like a hangover episode, but the lingering effects of the pay-per-view are significant and are going to send these characters in different directions. Yeah. Yeah. I think AEW does a pretty good job of like, you know, giving your post-match interview for the, the winners and the losers. Typically, sometimes they're longer, sometimes they're shorter, but you know, for the big performances, and I thought Ty Conti did have a very good, big performance. You, you at least want to hear from her about what the experience was like and what what they have um, in in store for the future. Shivani was with Britt Baker, Jamie Hader, and and Rebel. Baker's exhausted from carrying this division, and she's going to direct the spotlight to the future TBS champion Jamie Hader. And Tony brings up Thunder Rosa, and Baker cuts him off, saying, "No, we don't say that name." And then immediately said her name again uh, by sending a warning to her on behalf of Jamie Hader. Mm-hmm. She, she was almost like, oh, since you mentioned it. Um, yeah, this sows the seeds for Baker versus Thunder Rosa already. And I think lends a bit more, um, perhaps, you know, suspicion that 
that's the program we're going to get. So Thunder Rosa, unfortunately, probably won't be winning the TBS title, but I think has a great chance of um, facing Britt Baker next for the, the, the world championship. Uh, it's a nice way of telling another side story. I didn't even consider that Hater versus Rosa was going to be sort of a, a an indirect way to, to get there. But that, every every one of these, story. all these second round matches, they all have storylines attached to them, which if, mm-hmm. you know, people want to criticize the women's division like this tournament, it's not just cold matches and pairings. It's and they're not just leaning on. Well, everyone's fighting for the title. It's like there are embedded stories into all of these. Now that we're at the final eight of the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Which takes us to Nyla Rose and Hikaru Shida in the second round. The winner of this will take on Ruby Soho and Chris Statlander, the winner of that match. So Shida is selling the knee injury that was sustained at the buy-in, and Rose goes after it. Jim Ross notes these are the winningest women in AEW way with 51 and 50 wins, respectively. So Nyla Rose was right on the cusp of 50 with... Hikaru Shida. I had no idea. Do, does she get a plaque? No, only the first one gets gets the uh, the plaque. Oh, right. You're uh, you're the runner up. Vicky starts choking Shida with the kendo stick. The crowd is chanting, "Shut up, Vicky!" Rose gets sent into the guardrail, and Shida sets up her chair, which the, this is like turning into like the spot where like Flair would climb to the top and then get tossed off. It uh, doesn't always work out for her. And gets nailed from behind when she turns her back. And Sheeta is seated in the chair. Nyla comes off the apron with a senton. Sheeta gets out of the way and Rose crashes and burns through this chair. Nyla Rose took some big bumps in this match. I mean, Mm -hmm. she was uh, going all out in this match. Yeah. So Sheeta then stops Vicky and this crowd was electric. Yes. Kill Vicky. And she does with one kendo stick shot as she's running away, but trips, falls down, her shoes fall off, and all Sheeta needs to do is one kendo stick shot, and this place went nuts. There is a lesson there, and um, it's a great spot with Vicky on the floor. I'm really glad that like Vicky actually had something to do during one of these matches. It feels like the the whole time that she's been around with Nyla Rose, she she hasn't really played a very active part in these matches, but this was a... A great spot with a big reaction. So Rose goes back to attacking the knee. We go through picture in picture. And as we come back, Serena Deeb had been sitting in the crowd and attacks Sheeta's knee. And the crowd is livid. There is a flying knee off the top by Rose for a two count. The crowd is getting really hot at this point. There's a beast bomb attempt, which gets blocked. And Sheeta goes to a triangle. Rose lifts and slams her out. Senton onto the injured knee. And then Rose misses a senton from the middle rope. Sheeta goes for a desperation jackknife for a big near fall and goes for the katana, which is caught and applies a stretch muffler. And Nyla stands up, extending the knee around her neck for full impact. And Sheeta taps at 11 minutes and five seconds. Uh, I, I was really impressed with the, with this match. I thought it turned into I thought Nyla Rose took some huge bumps in this match and the crowd got very much into this. It was a good use of Vicky for the one spot and the stuff with the knee. You push the deep feud and yet a nice finish at the end of this. I, I was very happy with this match. I thought it was a wonderful match. I thought Sheeta looked incredible. I thought Nyla Rose looked incredible. I thought they told a great story with the knee. Great spot with Rose diving off through the chair and effective Vicky spot. 
and they managed to break Sheeta off into the feud with Deeb. So mm-hmm. it accomplished a ton. And I thought it was pretty captivating for the two lengthy segments. Really good stuff. This was very good. Very good stuff. As Nyla Rose advances. So she'll face either Ruby Soho or Chris Statlander. Another maniacal Malachi Black promo. He he uh, breaks down nightmares and the eight man in Chicago. He says that he will make the air toxic that they breathe. Deep breaths, my friends, while the oxygen is still on your side. It sounded um disturbing. As it should be. Yeah, he's gonna toxify the 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 air. Hmm. MJF comes out with Sean Spears and Wardlow. Sean Spears tells everyone to be quiet. This crowd did not silence themselves and says that MJF can defeat any of their heroes with a headlock takeover. And MJF resumes the promo. He calls himself the most complete pro wrestler on the planet, and he will start a bidding war in 2024. I imagine this is not um, his television rights uh, are... I guess his rights are going to be up along with the uh, the Fox and NBC Universal deals and um, and that option year for AEW. So a lot of uh, sweepstakes in 2024 in the wrestling it, business. This is legit. His contract? I, I assume that's the legit time when, when his contract's up. Okay, we'll be really interesting uh, whenever that happens. Yes. Uh, he says that I could take your hometown horse and send him to the glue factory and take a big cowboy shit on his title reign. And then, sound like an MMA fighter here, he went off ranting about the rankings, and he deserves to be the next champion. No one in the locker room is as good or on my level. You you had Excalibur uh, chime in here. He says the guy who wrestles three times a year. So yeah, he that was a nice us. line. It's, the, it's a reminder of, about how, I mean... Pace, pace of the, schedule, yes. The ranking might be justified. So uh, it, 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 it played really well into, you know, the heel dynamic here. And with that, CM Punk's music hits and he just walks out gingerly. He walks into the ring and goes face to face with MJF as the whole place is chanting. Holy shit. Maxwell introduces himself, offers his hand. Punk just smiles and walks away. And this was perfect for what it needs to be. And. I would say, wait, like we could certainly see that I'm sure this was the idea, the destination of where they wanted to get and whether you go through Wardlow to get to this moment or going the way they did, which ended up being Punk with Eddie Kingston. But here we are with Punk and MJF uh, sharing a ring. And I like the fact that we we didn't give away anything here. Like we aren't doing promos yet. This is just these two. Their worlds have now crossed paths in this in this AEW landscape. Totally. Yeah. You know, here you have MJF and CM Punk, arguably the two best talkers in the company, perhaps in the industry, facing each other inside a ring with a microphone for the very first time. It, it's a dream pairing, not necessarily because of the match, although I think it would be very good, but because of the promos and because of the mic work. And instead of getting a retort from Punk here, he simply walks in here and doesn't say a word. I mean, he said the most he could possibly say without saying a thing here. So I love that. Um, they're making us wait for this promo battle. And let's remember next week, we're going to be in Chicago. So well, um, when, when punk walked out, I was like, they cannot do this on a week's notice. Um, and they didn't, but next week they, they should have some, well, 
the big, big segment with them. The big match is Punk saying something about MJF for the first time. I, and I, I think that's as much of a, an attraction. I mean, I, I no, I, I mean, the match is this match is big enough that you can save for one of those January shows to headline that show. I mean, that's a long ways away. But, you know, like in, in between that, you have a Wardlow punk match. In between that, you might have a Spears punk match. Um, it's it's a big enough match that you can headline, you know, let's say a winter is coming or something like that. Don't forget that that Long Island show like that's that's MJF's like home right. market. Um, and that's that's a big arena to fill. And, um, you know, it's when you look at like next week in Chicago, you've got um, that Long Island show in a couple of weeks time. They're running the Greensboro Coliseum. The first TBS show is at the Prudential Center. These are big buildings that they're running, and I think it's going to be really fascinating to look at the matchmaking over these next two months with all these big shows and and the the special in January on top of that. And how far is MJF away from an actual title shot? You know, like looking on paper, I feel like he would be the one to ultimately come out of this program, the victor, to challenge Paige, you know, for the championship, but do they want you know mjf to challenge page so soon if they want page to continue that reign a, a little bit longer do they want to instead build to cm punk versus adam page i'm not really sure but I, I i don't think they could go wrong either way and and this feels feels like a program that's big enough to you know set up your next title challenger for sure and it makes it captivating because you can argue either way like page like if he gets by Danielson, the idea of Danielson and Punk as his first two big opponents, that's a viable way. MJF makes a lot of sense. And I think that makes makes the feud really intriguing with, with Punk and MJF, not just the promos and such, but also uh, how you set up a challenger at the end of it all. Mm-hmm. Because that's what this program should produce. Yeah. Shivani is with Darby Allen, and Shivani says some believe it was the match of the night. And Darby says that Max did not break him mentally. I will have a rematch, and I'm not going to take any time off. I want the biggest and the baddest. And with that, the gun club walks in. And this is what happens, folks. Uh, Wins matter, and losses set you back. And that's what Darby is now facing. He's going to take on Billy Gunn on Rampage. And... He was challenged, and his conclusion was, yeah, screw it. Let's do it. Well, coming off of these losses, I mean, again, you just want, you know, wins for your baby faces that have, you know, that are trying to climb their way back. They're doing this with Eddie Kingston, and they're doing this with Darby Allen going up against the gun club. It's not a, a great match that I think people are salivating, but it's, a I, I'm oddly to... curious to be honest, to, to see this match of yeah. Billy gun against Darby Allen, like for a rampage. I I'm, I am intrigued. It's a chance to, you know, rehab Darby and a chance to showcase Darby by giving him a big win. I do really actually enjoy the gun club in these sort of segments. They're, they're so incredibly douchey and I they're love... in the perfect role. Like they are in the role they need to be. And I love the fact that they felt the need for every single one of the family members to to say a a douchey line, you know, like like it was Colton saying, "Better bring your skateboard." 
Like, like as if that's any sort of insult. But then you had Austin. Hey, say, did you see I, that skateboard attack on on NXT? You don't mess true. with skateboards, way. You're right. Yeah, but you had Austin coming in saying, "I like turtles," which I thought actually was very funny. Like they they are the O'Doyles of all elite wrestling. The O'Doyles, yes. The uh, the sops. The sops, yeah. Adam Cole and the Young Bucks are back on camera, and Cole is tired of Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, and Christian Cage calling Full Gear the worst night of their careers. Matt Jackson goes one further. It was the worst night of their lives. Their kids had to see that. Matt and, J- uh, Matt and Nick are not cleared, uh, but Adam Cole is cleared. So the, uh, the concerto having different effects on different people. And so this Friday, it's going to be Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus against Adam Cole and walking into the shot. Bobby Fish and Fish mocks them, says we're going to put an end to the Jurassic joke. And that's and they cut him off and says, no, 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 you, you can't say that here. That's, it was hilarious. Like, I love the fact that we're like mixing in the Undisputed Era as canon in the world of AEW. And I love that Bobby Fish is the guy who gets confused and doesn't know he's on the other show. <laughs> like he just suddenly transplanted himself from nxt to AEW, and he still thinks he's on nxt which is great i love well he he could get very confused if if more names make their way over here and he will not realize what what's happened it it, it really it's a great way of continuing to tease cole's potential defection and to continue to tease his disloyalty to the elite um without really doing anything you know, like all you're doing is pairing him with a former best friend while still claiming that he's he's got full allegiance to the elite. I, I think it's absolutely great. Leo Rush and Dante Martin taking on the acclaimed. Uh, Max did his rap saying that Dante has more partners than Pete Davidson. Leo is an amateur, better as a manager, and they're in Virginia and both are virgins. Yeah, and Leo, I think, like, motion that he's got three kids or something like that. <laughs> so, pretty funny. And then Bowens did his part and was cut off with Rush and Dante hitting dives together. Uh, they did this amazing misdirection spot with Leo and ending with a seated drop kick on Bowens. This dude is just so fast. Dante gets sent into the rail and they is hit with a double-team vertical suplex and they get the heat on Dante forever. It's just him selling and selling. They cut the ring off. They go through the break. And as they come back, Leo gets the hot tag and he just goes wild. He goes off of Bowen's back into a Rana on Caster, does the kip up to the roundhouse kick, axe kick onto Bowen's for a two count. The whole crowd is chanting Leo. Caster then ducks the, the nosedive, the double springboard moonsault of Dante's and drops Dante with a boot. Bowens then drops Rush with a super kick. There's a springboard missile drop kick from Dante as he returns to the ring. All four are down. Big AEW chant. Inside out lariat to Rush from Caster. And then the mic drop, which Dante breaks up another cover. And Dante hits the nosedive on Bowens, ended, ending with Leo Rush winning with the frog splash in 10 minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, Dante Martin and Leo Rush are becoming uh, one of my favorite tag teams. These guys are terrific together. Really spectacular match. Yeah. Anytime, like, I mean, Dante Martin himself is already fast enough. And then you throw in a, a Leo Rush in there who might even be faster than Dante Martin. It's uh, how can they not be a fan favorite team immediately? I'm really glad that they're 
choosing to take Leo Rush in that direction and seemingly stripping him of any of this, you know, um, money stuff. Um, and they're really just pushing him as a straight baby face right now and a tag team with, a with, with Dante Martin. So I, I, I love that. And this crowd absolutely reacted to them like they're big stars. Uh, speaking of uh, leveraged buyouts and our ongoing discussion of uh, arena names, did you see the new name of the Staples Center in Los Angeles? It was the. It seemed like it was the talk of, um, I don't know the the world today. Uh, the Crypto dot com Arena is yes. what the Staples Center. I mean, it's not even like the Staples Center was that much better, but at least it rolls off the tongue a bit better than Crypto dot com. I I think this is just. It's just. It's a form of like, it's the future of like naming rights. It's like all this like stuff you're you're going to see. I mean, I I do kind of find it amusing that over time, like you are replacing oh another brand name with like a different thing, and now it's like we have this affinity now for like we've come so far that like a the Staples brand is now sacred, and yeah. like is what what's going to happen in thirty years when it's like the um. Like, God knows what the technology will be. And it's like, oh, the Crypto.com arena. It'll always be the Crypto.com arena to me. <laughs> yeah, maybe, man. The Skydome uh, started trending today because of people saying, it's still the Skydome to me, just like the Staples Center will always be the arena to me. It was like people were making comparisons like that. The Rogers Center was one of the worst renamings for I, uh, a venue. It really is. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, like these buildings become a part of our culture. And I'm not really talking about the Staples Center, okay? It's like, that's whatever. But it's just more so the trend of these these wonderful buildings of great memories being named just the most uncreative so who gets to name them names. like do we what what kind of ownership do we like who's to say like the public so, has to refer so, to any of these names so i know i know like i don't i i i don't know if it's like football like like in uh like a like a english or um, european football or whatever like soccer i don't know if it's soccer that does this okay muay thai you know, they they fighters have changed their names to the brands yeah. that, that are sponsoring them. I mean, we're not far away from that. We're like, you know, remember, remember when you'd have fighters with like the golden palace.com just splashed like they were literally their backs were billboards. Yeah. But at time. least they didn't have to change their name. Like we're one step away, a few years away from like, you Fair know, like Tex would do that all the time with. Like yeah. Fighters. Or yeah. like, you know, LeBron Yum, you know, like taking the court, um, <laughs> you know, like Kobe Smoothie King. You know, is about to, uh, you know, shoots a three. Like, it's it's gonna be it's ridiculous. And Va- there needs Vaughn to be Wrangler jeans. <laughs> sure, Wrangler jeans. You look they have that much money <laughs> to buy a person. Vaughn Wrangler. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I mean, it's um, I I just like the idea that if if everyone just united together and said we will never refer to this as the crypto.com arena we will like you'd have to have everyone on board that would refuse to call it by this name except for the the arena itself identifying itself as that you, there's nothing stopping you from calling it the skydome everyone knows what you're talking about everyone could just call it the skydome yeah, I, yeah I don't have a contract with rogers why do i have to call it the the rogers center but but what do you type into your phone like what do you type when you want to like you know go to google maps I know where the Rogers Center is. I never have to look it up in a Google map. You Union don't, Station. But, but but if you're appearing in in a, in a new town for the first time, you know, 
eventually we're going to have to cave in. I don't know if you really have to. I think you could honestly refer to the Skydome in every conversation you have with people. You You, know where it's located. Okay, I'm not even talking about the Skydome. Let's say, I mean, you're going to Dallas next year. Um, I mean, this the AT and T Stadium was always the AT and T Stadium. But if I told you, if if I said from now until April, I just referred to Cowboy Stadium, every single person would know what I'm talking about. Oh, Cowboy Stadium. Okay, you're right. Is that that that's the name of the building? No, it's called AT&T Stadium. But if I said Cowboys Stadium, which was the, the former home of the Cowboys, everyone would just assume it's the big stadium that the Cowboys play in. Sure. Okay. Um, again, like, can, can if I wanted Siri to give me directions to Cowboys Stadium, am I allowed to just say Cowboys Stadium? See, you're talking about it in like this practical sense of like yeah. you're lost and trying to find it. I'm saying yeah. it just in everyday conversation and referencing this, this stadium. <laughs> Okay, well, at some point, I mean, referencing it is going to enter into a practical uh, usage and application. Yes, but it is like, could could you imagine if, say, the L.A. Times took a stance and they were anti-cryptocurrency and we are not going to refer to it by that name in our papers? Yeah, I, I, I guess I could see that. Sure. Like how much power do people have to just reject a stadium name? Yeah, ultimately, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much they have. Um, I mean, in casual conversation, I, I definitely always still say the Skydome. But if I have to give directions to, directions to somebody from out of town or if I'm advertising my show that's about to take place in the, in the Skydome, I, I probably wouldn't write Skydome. Uh, Team Taz came out and <laughs> Taz offered his condolences to Leo Rush. He notes that, Leo, you are a businessman, as they are explaining why they offered a contract to Dante Martin last week. They note that tomorrow's the one-year anniversary of Hobbs joining Team Taz. And Starks asks if, uh, if Dante joins Team Taz, it's the difference between having a Hall of Fame career or a mediocre one. So in, in the world of AEW, what is the Hall of Fame? Um, I mean, the, I think they reckon maybe the Observer. Hall of Fame. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think they recognize the WWE Hall of Fame. They recognize well, all of them. How's, how's Dante going to go into the WWE Hall of Fame? Well, um, uh, I guess a theoretical. Okay, then then sure. Cauliflower Alley is, is what they recognize. <laughs> Dante Martin. <laughs> I think I feel like we're 50 years away from that. Like The thought of Dante Martin giving his Cauliflower Alley speech. I mean, shit. Wow. Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Jungle Boy did a promo. Cage said, you guys called it the worst night of your career. It was one of the most rewarding of my career, watching Jungle Boy use the chair on Matt Jackson. And you have learned the lesson, never bring a fish to a fist fight. I cannot believe that he said this with a straight face and that everyone didn't crack here because I would not have been able to keep a straight face when he said this. As soon as they yelled cut on this, I I, <laughs> I don't doubt that they all would have cracked up. Like Never bring a fish to a fist. Fight. This was the type of line that I'm sure like, you know, Christian thought of and he's like, you guys want to like, like the, the rest of them are like, I dare you Christian to work that into a promo or right challenge accepted. He, he has my humor of like really bad jokes that I, w- I would never say. If uh, it was like I was on national television, but I feel comfortable in this space on a podcast to make horrible jokes. This guy, he just goes for it. He did it, man. I love it. I love it. I mean, Bobby Fish's employment in the company is worth, you know, the the promo material alone with his name. Jungle Boy says that 
They had a ch- you had a chance to end me. The scruff may be gone, but the change inside is here to say stay. And shit, I'll eat thumbtacks for breakfast. And Luchasaurus just roars. <laughs> this was something else. What do you think of the scruff? Are you, are you sad? The scruff is gone. Um, you know, it either works for you or it doesn't. And I would say Jungle Boy, it's he's not quite. It was like he wasn't growing it at, at a rapid rate that I think he had to make a judgment call and probably made the right one. I think so, too. I think, you know, he can work the, the clean shave and look for a few more years. I mean, you say the scruff for when you turn heel. So Rampage on Friday night, Darby Allen versus Billy Gunn. Jade Cargill against Red Velvet. They had a video package for this going through their their past matches. It was Jade's debut beating Red Velvet. She's beat her, beaten her twice. And Jade says that Red Velvet messed up with the cake. So this is personal now. And then the third match announced is the one we just went over. Cole and Fish against Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, which uh, should be a very fun tag match. Almost every match that they announce like has my interest. You know, I think on this episode they've done a great job of building stories for almost every single one of these matches. Yes, and these are probably just wrapped up as we speak because we are back to a uh, taped version of Rampage on Friday, and then Dynamite next Wednesday in Chicago. They have announced three matches: Brian Danielson against Colt Cabana, Thunder Rosa against Jamie Hader in the TBS tournament, and the Eight Man. Malachi Black, Andrade, and FTR against Cody Rhodes, Pac, and the Lucha Brothers. Lucha Brothers uh, cut a promo addressing FTR. Stop your crying. You tried to cheat and win multiple times, and you suck so bad you couldn't get the job done. Death Triangle and Cody Rhodes, they will have something special for those four next week, and we are the best four-man team in the universe. They Have they... Ever team together? No, but um, they are the best four-man team in the universe. Yeah, wow. that's their starting the entire universe. Wow, a very high position. <laughs> and the main event: Sammy Guevara against Jay Lethal for the TNT Championship. Lethal did a promo at the beginning, stating that no one has walked through the door and won a title right away. He is going to give Guevara the toughest fight of his life. And before the match began, Tony Nese was seen watching from the crowd, scouting. So, he's been, what, what is he scouting for? He's been scouting for like two months now. Well, he's uh, getting acclimated, Way right? This is a new night of the week. He's been wrestling on like dark. Well, um, this is later in the evening, so. Um, All right. Takes time. They started off at a pretty fast pace. There was a handspring by Lethal and nearly caught on the shoulders for the GTH, but Lethal avoided it. Figure four gets countered by an inside cradle from Guevara. And then Lethal teases the lethal combination and Sammy lands this Tornillo dive and he comes up. His ribs are taped from the street fight on Saturday and is selling the ribs in a big way. Goes for this gigantic shooting star press, landing on Lethal's knees and they go through the picture-in-picture break, and the entirety of this break is Guevara selling his ribs really effectively. They wave over Doc Sampson to come check on him, and then right as the commercial is ending, Guevara gets to his feet, shoves Sampson away, and he roars into the ring. Uh, it, like, he did nothing but sell during the break. It was very smart. I, he is. I love this. I thought it was more effective than your usual pattern through a commercial of just a heel, you know, beating on a on a heel on a baby face. 
Um, this actually had, I think, plenty of concern from people, you know, through the commercial because you can't necessarily hear what's going on. You don't know how 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 much acting it it was. I so, thought so- it was effective that you just had the visual of Samson checking on him, and you didn't have the commentary. I thought it was very interesting of how this worked in a picture in picture setting, as opposed to if it was just during the the body of the match on on TV. It looked unusual, so it captured captured your attention. Um, and ultimately it helps you draw a great deal of sympathy for the baby face. And it, and it's also like, it also helps that you can see exactly what's going on without having to like squint at the tiny picture that's on the screen. You know, you just see the doctor, doc Samson checking on this person and you think, Oh, this person's hurt. It could be legit or it could not be legit. And that's all you really needed. I, I thought it was great. So, Lethal goes after the ribs. He hoists them up, drops them down, coming down ribs first on the mat. The lethal injection gets blocked, and Guevara hits a standing Spanish fly, and then a brain buster on the floor after catching lethal. Guevara climbs to the top and goes for a swanton, crashing through a table on the floor. Uh, This looked spectacular. My only thing is that Guevara was back up and doing like moves within 90 seconds of this. I think it was just too quick of a recovery for such a spectacular spot when you'd been doing such a great job with the, with the ribs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of unfortunate uh, with this particular style of match though, you know, it's like, this is your sort of X division style where you're doing a million moves at once. Um, and that doesn't necessarily, necessarily go hand in hand with like, I would say maybe traditional psychology uh, because his ribs would have been completely fucked. Um, he wouldn't be walking around so much. But this, it, it's 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 the new age style. Uh, Lethal went for the top rope elbow, and it was turned into a crucifix upon landing. And he kicks out. Lethal drops him on his ribs. Figure four, and Guevara fights to the rope. There's a jumping knee. He cannot lift up Jay Lethal due to the injured ribs. Hits another flying knee, and on the third attempt. Gets him up for a great-looking GTH pinning Jay Lethal. Yeah, this was a fantastic match. You know, um, Sammy, I think, is slowly starting to carve out that signature style with this TNT Tuttle run. And for him, uh, he, he, these are all just unbelievable nonstop paces of matches. They're very spectacular and very exhaustive and, and just completely just boom like bombarding you with like incredible action and in, in really the best way so this was a really awesome match and then after the inner circle just came out they celebrated with sammy and they put over jay lethal sammy and lethal shook hands and then he posed with the inner circle and that's that's how the show ended it was kind of the inner circle endorsing jay lethal and that's that's how the show ended yeah, I mean, I spoke about this earlier with Andrew, but I was really curious to see like what the online reaction was going to be towards Jay Lethal because you know this this whole week of, of his announcement has certainly not been met without controversy for uh, his name being brought up there, and you know it, it, I didn't see much of it. Like people, just I did, I, to... I wasn't on Twitter most of the most of the night, but there was a tweet that Tony Khan put out just putting over the match, and I just clicked on it out of curiosity. It was right when he tweeted it. And immediately there were comments about it. It's okay. um, so I mean, it's I I don't know like how much of the audience it's it certainly to me was like the elephant in the room watching this. I I wish they had stated something like this. We are aware of 
what is out there. This is our vetting process. This is why we are comfortable moving forward to this. Um, something. Um, yeah. Because I, I think it kind of leaves the audience with either um, a difficulty in watching it or are put into the position where to enjoy the show, you have to ignore that. And I don't think either option is that great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, coming out of the show, uh, reception to me just felt overly positive for, for this episode. Um, and, you know, I, I do think like it's possible to enjoy the product while still asking these questions after the fact. And yeah, we wait to see if, you know, if this puts a bigger spotlight on Jay Lethal um, and some of the, those controversies or if people just kind of move on from it. So uh, I'm sure we'll all be following. That was Dynamite. What did you think overall? Just following up on the pay-per-view and uh, just quality of the show overall. Really good show. Really strong show, top to bottom. A great follow-up to Full Gear. And um, it felt like the type of show where so many new pieces were already moving. It almost felt like a season premiere. You know, brand new champion, brand new programs in place. And, you know, many of the people coming out of Full Gear with wins feel like they're just catching a a whole lot of momentum. So really good show. What do you think? I, I thought that it was um, a really great follow-up. Um, I'm curious to see like where where they are uh, number-wise coming off of this because typically, like the show after the pay-per-view, they they do very well. The you know it it was extenuating circumstances for the last uh, for for Dynamite coming off of All Out, but that ended up being their most watched show of the entire year. So it's different circumstances this time, but they were coming off a very strong word-of-mouth uh, pay-per-view. And I thought they they delivered a really strong show, a lot of interesting directions of of where they're going, and they've got a lot of big shows over the next couple of months to uh, to match make for, and a long time until we're talking about another pay per view. Like we're looking like three and a half months before they're back on pay per view, so it's going to be kind of a lot of probably matches built for TV for the time being. Mm-hmm. Yes. Forum.postwrestling.com. We start things off with Noah from Vaughn, who writes, I had a few thoughts on tonight's episode. First off, a huge round of applause to that crowd in Norfolk. Even by AEW's high standards, I thought this was one of the best crowds they've ever had. Into everything and loud as hell all night long. As for the show itself, I thought it was right up there with some of the best episodes they've done. Paced so well, and the matches were spectacular, especially the main event. The two big programs of Punk MJF and Brian Page already had me super excited for the next era of AEW. Seeing Ishii come out to the Pixies was just ridiculous in the best way. A 10 out of 10 show from Noah. Anthony says, I will give you feedback to my father's reaction to the main event. As somebody who is a casual viewer of pro wrestling, he thought the ending was BS. With Sammy injuring his ribs multiple times in the match, my dad thought that Lethal should have an easier time winning the, winning the match. He thought Sammy hitting his finisher, the GTH, was stupid, again, thanks to the injured ribs. 8.5 out of 10. There you I, go. I think in terms of the, the match itself, I think they did enough in the match that you, you could comprehend the idea of doing the title switch. I think people were... I think into it to to that level. Title switch, really? Uh, for this one, I'm. I don't know. I'm not it sure. Would, it would not have stunned me if the, if they had done that. But I think this was the the better outcome. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we go to Johnny, who writes: This might be my favorite post pay per view dynamite. Brian showing why he is a master at his craft, getting the arena to boo him and creating a good babyface in both Page and Evil Uno. 
Main event was amazing. Might be Sammy's best match since his MJF won. The only surprise of the night, no big closing angle that sets up the story for the company. We usually get something to set the path to the next pay-per-view or big dynamite show. Feels like we are still playing on some storylines that have been going on for a few months. Uh, I, I would say that um, the big showdown is Danielson and Page, and we have a sense like that's not happening next week, and it's probably not happening in two weeks. It's uh, probably you're going to have them run through the dark order, and maybe you can hold it off all the way until January, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I thought we got plenty of long-term storytelling here. I mean, MJF is setting his sights for the World Championship, already cut a promo on Page early on. Him and, and Punk it- is like, who's going to be upset with that direction? Exactly. You know, even Punk and MJF is a bit long-term because you have so many potential matches with the Pinnacle members in between. You know, same with, like, Brian and the Dark Order. So I I felt there was plenty. We got a Shane who says, Hey, guys, great show. It's amazing how AEW has been able to get their homegrown talent over to the point that crowds actively boo fan favorites like Danielson or Punk when he faced Kingston. They make booking likable baby faces look so easy. I went to the battle in the Valley Show live Saturday, which was my first live wrestling in two years, and it was great to see Ishii there and again on TV tonight. Although I wish we could hear his music. Really loving Leo Rush and Dante Martin as a tag team. I'm excited to see them mix it up with Team Taz. Also, very excited for MJF and Punk. Uh, also, on Thursday Night Way, we got Minoru Suzuki and Josh Alexander. Ah, oh, you're right. Wow. Awesome. Great. Did you see the video Alexander put up with his kid no no i haven't so his wife is filming them like wrestling in like their living room and his kid is who's got to be like i'm guessing like three years old roughly the star of the last pay-per-view yes Mm -hmm. the star of the last pay-per-view yeah he throws a kick (laughs) and dude he hits josh alexander square just square it is like think of your most painful UFC replay in slow motion. It's like <laughs> he wow. hit him on target, dude. Uh, this video is just—I mean, I, I am not the one so, that gets. So it's got nothing to do with Suzuki. Nothing. No. Oh, okay, okay. I thought I thought you were about to tell me. Sorry, like, it was the Josh Alexander. <laughs> uh, I thought. Well, I thought I thought you were. Minoru telling, Suzuki shows up in his living room. I thought you were about to say like, oh, he he he's uploaded this incredible video talking about his climb to to this uh, great match with Suzuki, how he fought so hard. And all his no, he got kicked in the balls. Match. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. This is good. Uh, from Peter Forsberg, one of my favorite players. What kind of psychology is Sammy going to the top rope for a front flip onto the table outside when he's been selling his ribs the entire match? LOL, completely took me out of the match. Guess you got to get your spots in. I mean, in fairness, the Guevara character is, uh, he's crazy. He doesn't think about any of this stuff. But it, it I had the same complaint. I thought it was, it, it, not so much the spot, it was the fact that it was such a quick recovery after such a spectacular spot, which I get, but it's still, um, it, it was enough that it annoyed me. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. You know, it's it, it's going to be a, a constant complaint, especially with like a lot of these younger guys working um, these types of matches. I guess for me, I, I I just think of like these sort of matches as more of like action flicks. And when I'm watching an action flick, I'm not necessarily thinking about like you know how how tight the the psychology might be about like how somebody can fly twenty feet through the air. Um, but there was a lot of it in this match, though. Like the whole thing with like the GTH, like the ribs were like a big focus of it. 
Yeah, yeah, it was. I suppose like my suspension of disbelief is a, a, a bit higher when I know I'm watching this sort of match. But yeah, maybe you can't have it both ways. Maybe that could have been the picture-in-picture spot of him. That sets up your break, and at least you get like three minutes of him just dead and Samson checking on him, and then he makes the fiery comeback at the end. I think that would have been a bit better placement for such a major spot as a swanton through a table on the floor rather than selling the the shooting star onto the knees. Well, why wouldn't he get counted out? Well, why didn't he get counted out when he was on he the made, floor the first he, time? He made it back. Oh, the the first time. I mean, I I didn't see like the moment of him actually leaving the ring. Like was it mandated that that he leave the ring or, or you know, like he rolled to the floor. He rolled to the floor and then the ref, the, the doctors checked on him, which yes. I guess stopped the count. So, so you could have stopped the count when the doctor's checking on him from a table spot. But but the injury occurred inside the ring. You know, diving through a table, that means the injury occurred outside the ring. Wait a minute. So a count doesn't count because you sustained an injury in the ring? I think if he took himself out of the ring, then you can then then I mean that's that's the the the, the performer himself putting himself Well, if out we're talking that. suspension of disbelief, there is a great latitude of being outside the ring in AEW that I could take easier than popping up after the Swanton spot. So I would have just changed that around. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I, it, I mean, you know, it, it, it bothers some people and it doesn't bother others. We got a Kate who says, excellent show tonight. Just going from one great moment, one great segment to another. I think Sheeta versus Rose was their best match to date. And I really like their title fight. I was convinced that Danielson was just going to do some subtle heel work in light of the fact that it was Hangman Celebration show, but he leaned all the way in without actually changing anything about his character. Fighting Cabana in Chicago and taking on the likes of John Silver is likely to get him booed for the foreseeable future. I did laugh out loud, though, when he said he didn't want any beef. I absolutely loved Punk's promo. Yes, seriously. It's... Incredible to me that AEW is looking at months without Kenny Omega and Moxley, and it still feels like they have tons of strong programs at their disposal. If you took Roman Reigns and Randy Gordon out of WWE, I don't know if I'd be as optimistic about their prospects. We go to McGuire. Uh, I love the opening segment. Great back and forth between Paige and Danielson, but there's no excuse for that match to go that long. Uno is not supposed to be on Brian's level, and he looks like shit with his gimp outfit. We don't need every TV match to be 50. Dude, it went six minutes. That match went six minutes and 23 seconds. Yeah. I had no issue with the the length of Brian and Evil Luna. And you're, you're, you're starting off like a story. Like this is him going through the Dark Order. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought the match worked really well for where they're going. We get a Kid Cash who says, I just hate how they booked Lethal. He should have lost in 10 seconds to Billy Gunn instead. In all seriousness, this was a home run edition of Dynamite, and Lethal is going to be a star in this company. Questions? Any update on Gargano, O'Reilly, Owens, and Zane's contract statuses? Uh, well, Gargano, we know. It's December 3rd. O'Reilly is somewhere in December. Owens is the end of January, and I don't know Sami Zayn's. A, also, what do you guys think is next for the Young Bucks? Darby and Dar- Darby has suffered two big losses in a row. He needs a WWE. Well, I don't see him losing the Billy Gun. That would be my my assumption. Although, if people are reading spoilers right now, they could uh, they might be laughing at me if uh, on that statement because I haven't read them yet. But um, I I could see like Darby kind of going through. I, I kind of like this story that like he has had a major setback and he's got to uh, somewhat retool and 
maybe that takes him into some other direction. But uh, there's there's options for Darby Allen. I think once you put your head together and just come up with a a clear direction for him. But I think ultimately you see him leading his way back into that that group of four where he's kind of out of out of the mix at the moment. Take your turn. Okay. Uh, last one is from Muggin. Oh no, we have a few here. Uh, Muggin writes, the elite taking a step back was a nice change of pace. Kenny bowing out for a while will lead to Adam Cole taking over. The show peaked with Hangman Page getting that hero's welcome. So the show peaked for him like two minutes into the show. Uh, Punk putting MJF in his place without saying a word was hilarious. Nyla Rose and Sheeta put on a solid match. I was nearly convinced Sheeta would prevail after the Deeb attacked, and I'm glad that feud will continue. With only two matches as a tag team, Leo Rush and Dante Martin are really coalescing, and once Darius Martin returns, I'd like to see him as a three-man team, and cool to see Tomohiro Ishii on Dynamite. Three-man team would be cool with them. Uh, we And then we can throw Hook into the mix, too, finally. Oh, that's right. Get a Jesse from the Six who says, Great show. Rose and Sheeta really impressed me. I don't think that the Rose bump on that chair got enough attention. That was nuts. I encourage everybody to focus on the Reba Rebel on Reba Rebel during Baker segment. Her facial expressions and nonverbal comedy are thoroughly entertaining. I see some people already planning to end Hangman's reign. He should lose it to Danielson right away, or he should lose it to MJF. Nah, I want a Bruno reign for Hangman. Give me seven years of cowboy shit. And the last one comes courtesy of Carl. Was this Danielson heel turn all of a sudden or hints of it coming? It makes sense against a popular champion and Danielson can pull it off. Uh, Love the main event. Glad Jay Lethal got signed with AEW. Interesting tease of tension between Cole and Omega could be hinting at a future split of the elite. Although if Omega watched the Bucks do nothing in his loss to Hangman, not sure why he was upset with Cole. Uh, look for, looking forward to MJF and Punk when the music hit. I thought the promo battle could begin. I was wrong. It happened later, I guess. It's strange that Punk was booed at full gear, but crowd popped huge. Maybe a testament Saturday to how the fans felt about Eddie Kingston. I think so. It's exactly what it was. Yeah. In that moment, they wanted this other person to win a bit more. And in this moment, they want Punk to win more than uh, MJF. So, yep. Um no, I, I love the fact that like you have all these guys that can kind of waver back and forth, you know, depending on who the opponent is, and Danielson included. Like he's a heel for this night, and certainly probably for the rest of this program with Paige. But I I don't doubt he'd be able to pop right back uh, the the day afterwards. That's right. All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Thank you to everybody for tuning in to Rewind to Dynamite. Wei Ting is going to be back on Thursday afternoon live at three Eastern with Jordan Goodman and. Davey Portman, uh, to chat about a very, very popular show. Yeah, the wellness policy. We're back, 3 o'clock. Community. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, A whole episode, Breaking Down Community, which I don't think I've ever seen a full episode of. Um, But beyond that, we'll be talking about the concept of community as well. So uh, uh, a, a quick plug for that. Also, for those of you who missed out on the announcement on Rewind Away, we are actually debuting a new podcast exclusive on the cafe this weekend uh it will feature not john and i but two of our community members in david myers and bruce lord conducting an interview with members of the post-wrestling audience and the first of which will be our man neil flanagan so if you're a member of the post-wrestling cafe even if you're not actually um i'll probably put this one out for free so you can uh listen to it right at postwrestlingcafe.com or if you're a patron you get it right into your feeds so look up for that on saturday 
All right, and we're back. We've got our post-daily news updates Thursday and Friday, youtube.com slash post-wrestling. Subscribe. We are inching closer to 10K. And then rewind to SmackDown Friday night at 11.15 Eastern time. That is it for us. Thank you for listening.